Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast, dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. Thank you for joining us today. We have a unique episode for you. Skills coach Jaden Nichols joins the show, and he becomes the host. I become the guest. I'm Steve Kramer, by the way, of the Coach's Edge and Kramer Basketball. If you're new, thanks for checking out this episode. And we focus on skill development with a emphasis on some of the three things that I really tried to concentrate on working out the players that I trained throughout the course of the summer. We talked about some of the general weaknesses that I noticed working with our players throughout the course of the summer, uh, the spring and fall. And then we also touch on how we've improved some of our coaching by breaking our workouts down into three different categories and how that's been beneficial in trying to decide not only what our players need, but they've really helped me stay more organized when I'm putting together a lesson plan for our players. We touch on that and much, much more in this skill development episode. So if you find it beneficial, please share it out for us. Leave a positive rating and review. That goes a really long way. We certainly appreciate it. Let's get to the show. All right, welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast. This is your host today, Jaden Nichols, and I'm here with Coach Steve Kramer on his own podcast, and I'm taking it over today. Yes. We're going to do a little Q&A. So I get to ask Steve some questions about coaching, and we get to hear, we're going to hear a lot about what, what Coach has learned in the last year or two. So I'm really looking forward to this today. How are we doing, Coach? I'm doing well. I'm excited. Man, I'm, I'm fired up. I feel like there's so much I've learned since the, especially since the pandemic started, that's changed and improved a lot of the coaching that I do. And um, this, this would be fun to talk about it. Yeah. And we've had some good conversations about mm -hmm. how coaching has adjusted. So let's just dive in right away. Um, so biggest thing I want to know is what did you focus on as a coach this summer coming a little bit out of restrictions? Things are loosening up a little bit. What did you focus on this summer? Great question. And I've, I've thought about this a lot. I've thought about this more over the past year. And, and, and as a coach, you're always trying to get better, right? And so one of the things that I really, really tried to focus on, and I say all of these humbly, because I'm still trying to get better at all these things, but it's to talk less. It's to talk less. Just because you're talking doesn't mean someone else is learning. And that's been something that I've been trying to add in to the workouts that we're doing. And much more of a speak if needed than speak just because you want to tell everybody, you know, how much you know and how passionate. And that's tough for us as coaches because we love basketball so much. We're so passionate about the game. We just want to share, share, share. But with coaching, that doesn't mean the kids are going to get better. You talking more does not mean they're getting better or they're even retaining all of that knowledge. So that was one of the big things that I really tried to concentrate on. I'm still getting better at, but I definitely noticed throughout this summer, I spoke less. It was a couple of teaching points. We're moving on, have the kids work on it. And if it needs to be uh, retaught, if it needs more detail or description, then I will give, but I'm not going to give so much information right up front because one, they might not even keep it. Two, they're going to lose their sweat. They're going to lose some of their interest. And three, 
they may not even need all the information that I'm sharing because they may have some of those things down already. So that was a big one for me. Talk less. And I think I'm teaching more by doing that. Another one, picking a single emphasis. When we're a coach and we see a player and we could just say one thing, um, taking a shot, let's just use an example. They take a shot and you're a big shooting guy. I'm a big shooting guy. We love talking about shooting, breaking it down. When I see a player take a shot, there could be five different things that I notice with that player shot that they could tweak and make it better. Mm -hmm. And in the past and every year I get a little bit better, but I feel like I've taken a bigger jump this past year, picking one emphasis for that player to focus on and keep being able to get back to that throughout the course of a workout or a camp or even maybe a full week. For example, if a player takes a shot and I notice their shot line is off, like they shoot it and their right shoulder all the way to their follow through is, is true. It's like across their body. It's not even that straight line going to the rim. I also noticed that they've turned their wrist on the follow through. It looks more like a handshake than a snap of the wrist coming down. I also noticed their offhand is left the ball like two feet before it was supposed to. I also noticed their feet weren't on balance. And I noticed, uh, what's, what's another common mistake? There was no rhythm to the shot. The ball came up, it stopped, and then it started again. Well, there's five things right there that are causing that player to miss the shot. And in my mind, I'm seeing all these things. And I just want to spit them out, spit them out and say, hey, we got to fix this, fix this. Not going to work. They're not going to remember any anything, right? It's information overload, paralysis by analysis. So I need to look at that player and say, out of those five mistakes that that player made, what's the one that's holding them back the most right now? And that's what we're going to focus on. And as that piece starts to get better, what's the second thing that is starting to hold that player back the most regarding shooting the basketball? And then we're going to attack that. No one specifically was shooting. We need to keep the basketball straight. We need to keep the basketball moving. We need to generate proper arc. And if those are some of my three main points that I'm trying to get with the player shot, I'm looking at those mistakes that they're making, say which one is being affected the most negatively. And then I'm going from there. I'm passionate about that one. That's been a, one that I keep trying to remind myself of, like pick a focus, pick an emphasis, Steven, don't bounce all over the place because you're just going to confuse people. So that, that's a big, big one for me. And then the third one that I really tried to concentrate on this summer and this past year and a half really was asking my players more questions. How did that feel? Uh, did you notice how that one looked differently or felt differently than the previous rep? Or if a player is getting some reps up and they've tweaked something, they did something differently, asking them what they noticed, asking them what was different between the second rep and those previous reps that you just did. And what I found is oftentimes those players are going to give us a better answer than we could give them ourselves. And because they're speaking it, they're more likely to retain it and remember it than if I told it to them. You see, when we, when we speak something, we're retaining more of that knowledge. We're more likely to remember what we said than we are what we hear. That's just human nature. 
And so if I can now get those kids to speak themselves and to share something that I could have told them already, they're more likely to remember. And then as they share some of their information, I can start to guide them in the direction of, yep, you know, two out of those three things you mentioned were like right on the money. There's this other piece of fluidity on the shot of getting the basketball out as soon as you see your hand get underneath the ball, taking that motion to the hoop. You didn't mention that one, but that's a big one. I can start to add a couple of details instead of giving them the whole recipe. That's been a big one for me. And then if I had to add, uh, a, I don't want to say it's not as important because I think these are all important, but one thing that we started doing at all of our basketball camps this year was a what went well time. And you were at some of our camps this year, so you, you noticed that we were doing this a little more often. And sometimes we wouldn't even wait until the end of the workout to do it. We, we would do it maybe randomly 45 minutes in, hour and a half in, where we bring the kids in and we'd ask them what went well or what is something that someone else has done well. And man, that was beneficial in so many different ways to get the interaction of the kids to one another complimenting one another. Again, we talked about when they say it compared to me saying it, they're going to remember that more often. And you know how it is, coach. When someone says something nice to you, you feel good about yourself, right? And you remember not only that somebody said something nice about you, you remember what it was. And so now if we have kids saying positive things about one another, they're not only feeling better about themselves, but they're remembering, even if it was a, a general comment of Johnny was really aggressive when we were playing one-on-one, -on -one. Johnny is remembering, man, I got to be more aggressive, right? That was something that, that I did really well. And somebody else even saw it and they pointed it out. And there's a good chance that that's something that that player, if they continue to do it, is going to continue to improve upon. So those were uh, the three, I'd say kind of three and a half main pieces that I tried to concentrate on. The first three was, was me being very deliberate and I need to talk less. I need to pick one thing. I need to ask more questions. And then that fourth one being really making sure that I'm giving those kids a chance to share, to compliment one another and really build some community within a little workout. And it was surprising how, how much tighter knit those players would get even in a handful of days when they were working out together and doing that. That everything you just said there, that's a whole coaches clinic right there. I think one of my favorite things about Steve Kramer is I've, I've heard all four of those things come out of your mouth this last summer in the limited time we've been together. You're never one to just hold information back. And that's what the whole coaches edge is about in the first place. But a couple notes on just some of what you said, talking less, picking one emphasis, this has blessed my shooting coaching as well, because I'm the same way. I always say there's 21 variables to a shot. <laughs> if we can knock down one and work on the next. Yes. That's yeah. great. Yeah. And, and the what went well time. Uh, this is something I picked up a couple years ago in season. So during halftime, whenever we'd come in and at the end of a game too, I would ask our team what went well. We'd get a list and I would ask them what didn't go so well. And they might knock out four of the five things I was going to say. And then I just have one thing I've got to say, we tighten up what we need to work on and they've done the coaching for me. 
in a, in a great way. And, and a lot of times peer to peer is so much better. So I, I like that in camps and I love that in season too. I think that's so valuable. So what general weaknesses or mistakes did you see a lot of players making this summer? Obviously you do all kinds of camps, whether it's ball handling, shooting and other team camps, what was the, the biggest thing or the most general weakness that you noticed? Again, really good question. And I feel like this may have been due to the pandemic, possibly. Um, the reason that I feel like I saw this issue come up more than I have in years past. Maybe it's my imagination. Maybe it's because it's been a focus of mine. And so I'm just seeing it. It's like, it's like when you buy that new car and then you see that car everywhere on the street and nothing changed except you got that car. So now it's on the front of your mind. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But really getting players to make quicker decisions and not hesitate when they catch the basketball has been something that I really felt like players were doing this year. And it 100% could be, we, we had so many players come to camp and this was their first basketball camp since before the pandemic. Like they hadn't been to a basketball camp in two years, a lot of these kids. Um, they, the amount of basketball that they played was down tremendously for many of our players compared to years past. And so I can easily see how that's, that's the reason right there. Kids haven't been exposed to as much basketball. So everything is just a little bit delayed as far as their decision-making, but nonetheless, it's still a mistake that we need to try to correct. And so getting kids to be aggressive, especially on the catch of the ball, you're never more open than when you catch the basketball. The defense, the hardest part of defense is a closeout. And so trying to make that decision quickly of pass, drive, or shoot in less than a second is what we're trying to get our players to get to. Now, so many players are afraid to make a mistake, which is a whole nother podcast topic probably. But when we're afraid to make a mistake, what do we do? We overanalyze, we pause, we hesitate, and now we've just made the, the mistake. What I want to get our kids to do is catch it, be aggressive on the pass, on the shot, or on the drive. And then if we do make a mistake, it's because we were making aggressive, being aggressive. And if we make a mistake being aggressive, now we've learned much more of how to attack the defense, how to read the defense, whether they're closing out, whether they're rotating. We're learning how much space we need to get that shot off or a better angle for the pass. Uh, maybe we attacked why we need to attack tighter to the defender's body. And so being able to get your kids to make more mistakes in the beginning because they're being aggressive on the catch of the basketball was maybe the biggest thing I noticed that was holding players back this year. And for me, we talked earlier with the previous question about picking a point of emphasis. And for many of our camps, that had to become the point of emphasis because that's what I was seeing with the players. And I would encourage you as a coach to start to think about how your workouts, especially in the fall, there's probably a lot of four-player workouts happening. Going into that workout, what's going to be that point of emphasis for you as a coach? Are you going to be able to hold true to that regardless of all the other things that are going on? Um, we ran a specific camp and a coach came up and was like, Steve, and he, and he didn't like uh, some of the passing of the players. And I agreed with him. 
And I said, coach, that is a great point. You are right. Some of these passes, they need to be better. And so if that's what you want to emphasize here, go ahead and do it 100%. But I said, the biggest thing that I'm concentrating on with these kids is for them to be aggressive. And in this specific situation, it was when they catch the basketball to attack, to drive it and to work on a finish, pull up, change of direction, whatever that might be. And so I knew in my mind, I can't just flip over and change one emphasis to another. Cause I've been telling these kids, be aggressive, be aggressive, go, 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 go. And we'll learn from there. So although a coach might watch and see 10 other things that need to be corrected, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with you. I think that coach is going to be right. The coach that I spoke to was right. You walk into the gym, you, you see something else that you want to emphasize. You're going to be right on the money too. I'm just telling you that the more different pieces of input we give to a player, the less likely they are to pick out any of them. And with this specific camp that we had, the biggest weakness I saw was kids were hesitating. They weren't being aggressive. So for me to come in and give that program the best bang for their buck, that was some of the best advice that I could continue to hammer home with them. And that was something that I saw kids struggled with throughout the course of the summer. I think that's really countercultural to a, a lot of ways that we teach, because a lot of times we teach do something slow before you figure out how to do it fast. And in a lot of ways, basketball is different because you need to figure out how to do it fast and just learn from your mistakes. Mm -hmm. I think I think that's a really good one. I think, yeah, coaches should do a lot of things full speed so that we can get there. And I think that this kind of goes into so maybe the next one, too. So you're talking a lot about how you're you're forming your basketball training and how you're you're analyzing players, how you're analyzing what to what to do um, with that. What's the biggest mistake that you see in basketball training as an industry? as they look at teams, evaluate needs, what is the biggest mistake that you're seeing in the industry? Before we get back to the episode, I want to thank you for listening to the Coach's Edge podcast. And if you find this episode beneficial, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. That goes a really long way as we continue to build the Coach's Edge. And most of all, share this episode out with someone else who you think also may find it beneficial. That's what the Coach's Edge is all about, trying to give you an edge, an advantage. Let's get better together. Back to the show. That's a tough question for me to answer because I don't have all the answers, you know? And, and for me, I'm just trying to get better myself. I'm less concerned about what somebody else is, is doing, honestly. Like, I want to help the coaches I work with. I want to help the the players that I work with. And so as you ask that question, I mean, I'm, I can probably answer from there, there's training, there's high school coaches, there's AAU coaches. And so maybe in general, there's a handful of things that we should just, we should just think about. Um, I think one of the biggest ones for me as a coach to emphasize is what happens most. Are we teaching what happens most? If it's shooting, are we able to hit a spot up, a relocation and a dribble pull up before we get into the step back and, and, you know, Reggie Miller, Rip Hamilton running off of a screen and turning 180 degrees and shooting it back to the basket. What are the shots that happen most? If it's your younger players, can they dribble with their right and left hand? 
can they make layups with their right and left hand? That's something that they need to do. It's something that they're going to be re required to do and, and need to do as they continue to get older. So are we teaching what happens most and putting an emphasis on what happens most in a game? That's one. Another one, and this is more for our varsity level coaches, is strengthen your strengths while you improve upon your weaknesses. There's a difference between having a weakness and a liability. A liability is what keeps you off of the court. So we can't have a liability, but we all have strengths and weaknesses. We all have certain strengths, we all have certain weaknesses. And as I get older, I'm starting to figure out who I am as a player and continuing to strengthen those strengths. We talked about uh, Duncan Robinson on a previous episode. Like if, he, if he's like, hey, I'm going to be a, a ball screen shooter off of the dribble. What are you doing? Like, that's not what he's getting paid multi-million dollars, right, to, to be able to do. It's be able to move out the basketball, catch and shoot the three, and occasionally he'll put it on, you know, one dribble. That's it, right? And so we want to continue to be, be great at what you're already good at. Strengthen those strengths. And take in a look and see, do you have any liabilities in your game? I got to improve upon those liabilities. So now they're just a weakness, right? They're not going to be my first go-to. But if, if I can do something a little bit here and there, that's going to be okay. And as you get better, then you're allowed to expand, expand your game a little bit. Um, I will tell you one thing that I know I've done a, a lot better job of um, over the past years. And I think with my story of really playing at a small high school and a small college and then playing professional basketball overseas, really looking at, I had to figure out how to be successful when, okay, I was a big fish in a small pond. Now I'm a small fish in a big pond. I got to figure out how I can change real quickly. And so I can still be successful. And a big part of that was, figuring out my body type, figuring out my skill set, and trying to understand based on my God-given abilities and what my skills already were, how is that going to shape me into the basketball player that I need to be to be successful at a certain level, overseas basketball, for example. And I think that as coaches or trainers or whatever you want to call it, we can get caught up in teaching everybody one way. Here's your five basic finishes. Here's your whatever, fill in the blank of this is what we all need to do. Don't get me wrong. There are some things that, again, are they going to happen a lot? And we need to be able to do that. But player skill sets and body types are so different. It would be a shame if we taught everybody those same basic finishes and said, okay, you got the finishes down. You're good to go. Because some players can't jump as high. Some players aren't as fast. Some players' strength is driving and finishing. Some players' strength is shooting. So based on those different skill traits, based on those different body type traits, you're going to be able to change your game to best fit a specific player. And so that's one of my least favorite and kind of I'm always in a tough spot when coaches will ask like, coach, what are your five favorite finishes? Well, show me the player and I'll try to give them what their five favorite finishes should be. But just because they're my favorite, I can give you some of my favorite, but it doesn't mean they're the five best. 
not for you or even, even your whole team. Right. And so, so that's a, a really big one. And, you know, what's up, what I was always looking at this from an early age is because my body changed a lot as I, I mean, I was a five ten sophomore by the time I was going into my junior year, I was six, two. So I had a big growth spurt in one year. So that changed how I played my style a little bit. Um, and then being able to be a really athletic D3 player to an unathletic overseas pro player that changed a whole lot of how I viewed the game. And to be honest with you, I had um, my second daughter, Layla, who is three years old now, she has achondroplasia, very rare, um, you know, genetic traits that she has. So she's three years old. She's the size of a one-year-old and she has a handful of health complications um, that, that we have to, to deal with. I'm not trying to get personal on this, but the, the point is her body is going to look and looks a lot different than another three-year-old, right? And so as her father, am I going to look at her and say, uh, yeah, you're, you're just like the, the average three-year-old who's so much weight and so high? No, her, her body's different. God made her a little bit different. So we have to figure out the best ways for her to, to get around the house, to be able to wash your hands on the sink and maybe a weird example, but it's the same way with a basketball player, right? I'm not going to have a 5'10 strong build player play the same way that a 6'4 long and lanky player might, right? And we're not even talking into their skill sets. A couple other things from the training standpoint, um, High school basketball coaches at a public school, we already know you're not doing it for the money. You are in it for the, the right reasons. I mean, 90 plus percent of the time, right? You love the game. When it comes to the training and the business side, I think that's something for parents and coaches to watch out for is make sure that that other trainer or coach is in it for the right reasons. Um, they're in it for making an impact not for making money. Like I would, I would rather impact more people than make more money. Right. Um, if, if I can pay the bills and do, I mean, do what I do, what I'm trying to do. The rest is gravy. Right. Now it just so happens that if this does become my full-time job, which it's been for a long time, I just have the luxury of having a heck of a lot more time on my hands to become a better basketball coach than a normal high school coach would, which is, one of the benefits of our business and how we serve all these high school coaches is we're like an additional assistant coach for a lot of the programs that we work with around the country, which is really, really cool. And then the last thing that I would say, and this is more of a social media thing, um, but I think we need to give people more grace. Um, you know, we've seen Twitter videos where somebody's doing a 20 second workout clip and then all these coaches just like, hating on whatever that drill is. And you saw 20 seconds of our plus workout, probably. You don't know that player. You don't know that coach. You don't know where they're at. You don't know all the conversations and how long they've been working together. Now, granted, there are some things that I've seen where I'm like, boy, somebody could really get hurt doing this. We need to stay away from that, like that big red flag. But for the, for the most part, I think that we need to give more grace. Uh, I think we need to have, try to have some more perspective. If I were to post or tweet something on Twitter and say, man, 
what an awesome summer of camps. Our camps have never been more popular than they were in 2021. Man, this was, this was awesome. There's a couple ways you could read that, right? You could read it as, man, look at the ego of this guy. He's bragging about his, his business and you know all these things that he's doing and he's talking himself up. And man, I can't stand that guy. You could look at it that way. But what that tweet would mean to me personally, grateful, man, grateful. Like going through the past year and a half of a pandemic and not even be able to get in the gym and, and do what I love to do. Um, moving down to uh, a new state in South Carolina and trying to meet all new people and then having a daughter who had health complications and trying to figure out some of her stuff and then feel like you get the ball rolling and then the pandemic hits. And like the, the past three years of my life has been like flipped upside down in, in a lot of ways. And so when I, when I post like, man, this was an awesome summer of camps and we worked with a ton of players and our camp has never been in more demand. That's the truth. I'm saying that with a grateful heart. I'm saying that with a thankful heart. I'm, I'm saying that like thanking literally all the people that follow me and have been a part of Kramer basketball and the coach's edge. It's not trying to be braggy at all. The front cover of the book, right? You don't see all of the different things that have been, that have been going on in, in a program, in a specific person's life. And so that's something that I try to do, not just as a basketball coach, but as a person is to just have perspective and know like whatever somebody is, is putting out there, I'm always, you know, thinking the best of them first and, um, you know, knowing where I'm coming from with how crazy the past, not year and a half, but just three years have been as far as moving across the country and family and health problems and my daughter and then the pandemic, um, having those experiences for me personally has allowed me to become a better coach. I know that. And person. That's a really good answer. I think, yeah, having more grace for, for coaches and for each other, that's huge. That would go a long way for all of us, I think. So coach, let's, <clears throat> let, going into that, just as you, you've shared some of the stuff that you've been focusing on more and how things have changed, how would you say your coaching strategy has changed the past year after a pandemic? So we did a podcast with Carissa Sane, Illinois Institute of Technology, I believe, um, about a year ago on the Coach's Edge. And she broke down in much better ways than I can explain it of how she designs her practices. And I took that and started to look at my own workouts and my own camps and everything that I was doing and trying to figure out how I can make all of those better from a, a planning progression standpoint. So we talked about some of the things that um, I concentrated on this past year, but some of the things that I've changed is really taking the workouts that I do and breaking them into three different categories. And we'll explain some of this at um, a Coach's Edge presentation that we're going to do in October. I'm speaking at um, a coach's clinic in West Michigan, uh, October 24th with Ken George Basketball. We'll talk a little bit about it there. 
but it's looking at your practice or your workout or your camp from three standpoints, teaching, training, and competing. And being able to look at everything you're doing in your practice and try to say, okay, which one would essentially be in each category? And, you know, I started running my own basketball camp or I one basketball camp on my own in the summer way back in 2008. And that camp was very much, we're doing a bunch of teaching in the beginning, intertwined with some training. And then the middle is mostly just going to be training. And then at the end, we're going to compete. And it was just very, here's the first bucket. Here's the second bucket. Here's the third bucket. And we've, we've flipped that on its head. Um, we've really taking these three chunks and we're just putting them in. So you might be in a teaching segment, a training segment and a competing segment within the first 15 minutes of, of a workout or a camp. We've shortened these blocks to keep things moving. And we have kids try things out at a much faster rate where you know we'll teach it, we'll train it, compete, teach something, and just break it down real light, saying less, and then throw the kids in a situation where they're either going to train, so it's going to be more of a skill development, work on it, rep it out, or compete. And sometimes we'll just do the compete right away. And we'll, we'll say, hey, here's the game that we're going to play. We're loosened up, obviously. Let's take a look at it. So they're going to do it. Okay, now after we've taken a look at it, let's peel it back and let's do a little teaching. Okay, let's train and then we'll build it back up. That'd be more of your whole part whole strategy. But really we've done the whole gauntlet of being able to teach something, break it down. Okay, let's get some reps up and then let's compete. And doing that throughout the course of an entire, say three hour workout instead of, okay, we're gonna go 45 minutes, pretty much all teaching based. And then we'll go 45 minutes, pretty much all training based. Then we'll go 45 minutes training slash small side of games based. Okay. Then we'll go another 45 minutes and we're just going to kind of compete. And then we're not really going to say a whole lot to the kids. And we just essentially mix all of those together throughout the course of a whole workout. And I think it's gone a lot better. I mean, Jaden, think of some of the, the most boring practices you've been in. All right, I'm trying to think of some of the practices I had in high school, college, overseas. And it wasn't that the coach, what they were saying was wrong. It just took too long. There was such a long teaching segment. Now as a player, I've lost my sweat. I've lost my rhythm. It's tough for me to get the, that juice going again. And so trying to be a better coach, I'm just trying to make those things happen. So if I make those things happen at a faster pace, the kids are going to be more engaged. I think it's making the speaking that I'm using is having a shorter sound bite. So they're more likely to retain that knowledge. And then, you know, we want to compete. We all do. We want to get after it. And so why would I save that and use it as like a, a dessert at the end when like, no, we're just going to compete in and out the entire camp, whatever it might be the whole time. They're going to have more fun. They're going to enjoy the process and they're going to learn much more as they go through a camp or a workout. And I'm more likely to learn from them, which is going to make the next thing that I teach them 
even more powerful and impactful because I didn't wait till the end of the day to see him compete. I'm seeing him compete within the first 15, 30 minutes of our workout. So now I might be able to notice something right away that maybe I didn't have planned. Okay, that is a huge emphasis. It's holding some of these players back from getting better. And so now I can tweak my workout a little bit to best suit the players that I'm working with. That's really good. <clears throat> and I was just even thinking back to my favorite practices as a player. Yeah. It was, it was when we were competing from mm -hmm. the moment, moment in. Teach us something, let us compete. I, I think that's huge. And it's, that's a good way to learn, honestly. So I think that's good. I like the, the coaching blocks you talked about too, the teaching, training, and competing. I think it's good to conceptualize things that way. This has been super good. I, th I think we got time for just a, a fun question here, coach. And then, and then we'll wrap up. Um, as you look back to your playing days, I want to know whether it was just because you had a really good game in them or whether they would look the best. What were your favorite pair of kicks that you wore as a player? Hands down the Kobe force. Love the Kobe force. Um, they, oh man, they fit super comfortable. Um, I have a real flat foot. I also love all the Kobe shoes who aren't, weren't always real. They were kind of, my foot is real flat and broad. The Kobe's can kind of be a little narrow in the toe. I wear them anyways, I love them. But the Kobe force had a little broader kind of rounder front to them, which was great for my feet. Um, the arch wasn't really, really high in that shoe, which fit my foot really, really well. Um, and I wore those my third year playing basketball overseas. And that was the most fun I've ever had playing basketball as well. So I'm sure that has something to do with just a lot of positive memories wearing, uh, man, I had, I don't know, probably three different pairs of those shoes and the side note, <clears throat> I was a six man on that team. And so anybody who's listening, player or coach who thinks like, you know, basketball is going to be more fun if you get more shots or more minutes. And don't get me wrong, that that's fun, but it doesn't mean it's going to be the most fun. And uh, I, I happened to be on a team. It was just, it was really good. So we were winning. Winning is fun, no doubt about that. Uh, so we were winning and we had a group of guys who just liked each other and they liked going to practice and being around each other and everybody worked really hard. Um, and so I think that might be another reason why those Kobe shoes are some of my favorites. Yeah, winning in a good fit helps. I've heard mm -hmm. I've heard many legendary stories about Kobe fours. That seems to be one of the mm -hmm. the top shoes of all time. So good. So good. Minds. What are yours? My favorite that I ever played in. This is such a weird one, but they had these Nike Hyperfuses. One of the first Hyperfuses that came out. They had full length zoom, and the upper was a mesh material. And I played some of my best basketball in those, and had so much fun. And they were so comfortable, and they lasted forever. Mm. And then, but the best basketball I ever played in was in the Steph Curry twos. I had some of my, my best shooting in the Curry twos. Those shoes had the best traction I've ever played in. Those I think I had a pair of those too. Yeah. Those were, those were a good shoe. Well, coach, this was great. Uh, thank you for answering some of our questions today. I hope this was informative for everybody. And I hope that we can continue to hear more from the coach's edge. And so we can equip coaches to do their jobs better. Coach, you got any final remarks? I uh, just thank you, Jaden, for, for jumping on and, and doing this and, and being the host. Um, there's so many things that I feel like I'm learning and growing as a coach, as a person. 
that I think can help some other people as well. And so for you to be able to come on, take some time out of your day to be able to do this is, has been great. And, um, we have some events lined up this fall, this preseason in Bowling Green, Ohio, to work with some of your players and, and players from around Northwest Ohio, which is going to be a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to that and, and seeing you in about a month or so. It's going to be great, Coach. Well, we thank everybody for joining us today, and we'll see you next time on the Coach's Edge. Peace.